the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is a very special episode, and I'm, I'm just going to kick it right over to you, Lindsay, because <laughs> I, th- I feel like uh, if anybody, you should uh, tell us what's going on. Here. I mean, we're both pretty big fans of Bill Murray, you know. Um, so if you've been listening, you know that um, we do appreciate Mr. Murray, and we do end every podcast with a Murray moment, but extra special edition this week um we're just a few days shy of his 68th birthday is that right 68 68 that man so we figured why not do an entire podcast dedicated to him um focus on a movie that is maybe one that you haven't heard of um one that kind of slipped by you know the radar but is one of our favorites um and that is 1990s quick change and I think it's really funny, too, that Justin, both you and I, this is one of our favorite Bill Murray movies. Yeah. I uh, You actually showed this at one of your screenings that yeah. I went to, and I was like, oh, yeah, quick change. And it's not one that generally people, um, you know, pigeonhole is like, oh, yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love this movie so yeah. much. Um, so we're going, going to be talking about quick change, uh, our main movie, and then go into our picks of the week that um, have something to do with Bill Murray. And Justin, what's your pick? Uh, my pick, uh, Murray-related pick, was Kingpin, mm-hmm. which is a movie I'll go on to talk about uh, yeah. later, but it's one of those movies that just could use a whole lot more Murray in it. I mean, what couldn't? Yeah. You know? Um, the same. I would say the same thing for mine. Um, mine was uh, Tootsie from the early 80s, from 82, um, where he was very much a supporting role and I think everything could always benefit from more Bill Murray. But um, so this is a full-on Murray yeah. episode. Yeah, it should be pretty fun. Um, as far as quick change goes, um, we'll be talking about how, one, this was uh, the first and only um, directing credit for Bill Murray or co-directing credit. Um, he also uh, helped write and produce this. And... Um, how it was critically received um the cast cast is kind of um impressive to why we love this movie and just some other kind of reasons why we think you should uh investigate this one if you haven't seen it and if you have it's time to revisit it it's probably been a while yeah i'm, I'm of all the movies we've done this to me is like i know that a lot of movies we do i know we kind of mentioned like oh maybe this is something you haven't seen which it then ends up being a movie that like a lot of people, yeah, like, yeah I've seen yeah. Predator, I've seen Lost Boys or whatever. <laughs> but Quick Change is one of those movies that it's yeah. one that I've asked people like, because when we go to do these, I'll friends and stuff like, oh, do you know this movie? Do you know that movie? And Quick Change was one that they're like, what? Along what with Ed Wood, like most people had not seen. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy that we're getting in, you know, highlighting a movie that isn't as uh, recognizable yeah. as far as like a Bill Murray movie goes. And it wasn't, you know, panned either by critics. Um, if anything, it was very, you know, it, it was received very well, which is even more interesting that it, that it didn't do better when it was released. Yeah. Yeah. If you're one of those people that, uh, lives and dies by a, the uh, Rotten Tomatoes or MDB <laughs> ratings, uh, this is a highly rated film. So, uh-huh. uh, uh-huh. you know, I mean, if that's your, your gauge, then yeah. you, you'll be you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, so uh, before we get into, we'll do a little clip of the movie, um, but especially since this is one that maybe a lot of people haven't seen, could you tell us what this movie is about? It is based on the book, am I correct? Yes, it is. Um, it's based off the J. Cronley novel, uh, also called Quick Change, and there was a uh, movie in 1985 called Hold Up, uh, which was kind of the first incarnation of the novel and then quick changes is the second. So yeah, that's kind of a little mini history where the story comes from. Now the story itself um, follows three 
bank robbers who successfully rob a New York City bank, um, but find that the most difficult part of the whole ordeal is actually getting out of New York. Bill Murray, his girlfriend Gina Davis, and their friend Randy Quaid um, just keep running into a series of roadblocks. And it's not it's not a movie, I don't think, that's based off like that type of anxiety humor where there's a roadblock here and a roadblock there. It seems like it's more about the love-hate relationship that one can have with New York. Yeah, I feel like there is this sort of like under, well, we'll talk about it, this yeah, we'll get further into it. a hatred for or the this like hatred for the city or like sick you're sick of the city yeah okay well we'll go into a clip here and then we'll start getting into quick change with bill murray sounds good one of our faves happy birthday bill hugh let's not mess with me today okay i'm robbing the bank what the hell kind of clown are you the crying on the inside kind, I guess. Oh, look, I'm just an old man. Really? Yeah. Let's go. This is a robbery. <laughs> you believe this? This is a robbery. It is. All right, quiet, put your hands on top of your head, stand up. We're all gonna die. We're, we're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. So right away, mm-hmm. Bill Murray in this movie, um, you know, like you said before, his first, or first and only uh, directorial mm-hmm. effort. Um, out of all the movies Bill Murray's done, even though he goofs in this movie, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of that same sarcasm that that he's, he's known, for. known for, I almost want to say this is like one of his most mature roles, at least up until this point, you yeah. know, because he is... Randy Quaid is essentially playing, I think, like the character that would have normally been the built, yeah. you know, portrayed by Bill Murray. And in this one, he's like the leader of the pack. Yeah. Um. I mean, he's always been sort of a confident yeah. character in the films like Ghostbusters and stuff. But Very much I feel leader, like but... this one, he's like has they've given him like he he's he's done like a straight laced job and like yeah. has been pushed to the edge um, yeah. and is like, yeah, the leader of the pack. Um, and I, I kind of like that. I, I like that he's playing more of the straight man in this, but it's still his comedy rings through. I love seeing him. I love seeing him play a, a part like this because it reminds you that, yeah, Bill Murray is totally funny and he's has a great sarcastic sense of humor, but he's actually a really good actor. And I mean, of course, like we, you know, we see kind of like the, the serious and like, sarcastic nature of of um you know the range of his acting later in his career we see a lot more of it yeah of course yeah and then yeah and i'm sort of yeah and referencing like pre no, 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 wes no. anderson I, yeah. days yeah it's, yeah it's just like this was um you know we had the razor's edge many years before which was not funny but but um you know really showcased his dramatic side but then um we have this that is a comedy but it is, you know, a very like straightforward, like complicated um, character that's not just like one dimensional or, or, you know, a Caddyshack, Carl Spackler type guy. Yeah. Know? And this, uh, he, sh- he shared directing credits with Howard Franklin. So, um, yes. which I think, you know, m- for a lot of actors, they will try to do direct a movie like their directorial debut mm-hmm. and then also star in it usually so they can get backing or funding or whatever is generally the case. Um, and Bill Murray chose to get a co-director, which I'm assuming was a good relationship because it uh, was. Howard Franklin went on to do direct two more movies, two more with movies Bill, with starring him. Bill Murray. Do you, you know the story of 
of um, why it ended up like that, why it ended up with them directing. I do not. What? Well, they had the only two people that I've heard that they approached were Jonathan Demi. Um, really? Yeah, I know. Uh, they approached Jonathan Demi and he turned it down to do Silence of the Lambs. And which was also 1990, 1991 release. Memory yeah. serves. Respect. Um, and um, this this could definitely be a Murray moment, but it, it fits in here. Um, uh, Bill Murray approached Ron Howard to do it. And um, there's a little bit of salty history here because uh, Ron Howard read it. And he declined to do it because he felt like there was no one to root for. He didn't feel like he said he didn't feel like it was very funny and he felt like why why do I care because I don't I don't care about any of these like the main characters. Yeah. Too dark for Ron Howard. Way too dark for Ron Howard. But Bill Murray like took this to heart because this was his baby, you know? Yeah. And it yes, he hadn't signed on to to direct it or co direct it, um, at that point, but you know, he had put a lot of heart into this and for someone to tell you that this movie isn't funny, he was just like, well, all right, see you later, dude. Like he just was, he's had kind of a, um, I mean, I think he's, he's mature. He's turning 68. He's a very mature fellow at this point. Um, but he's, there's still a little bit of saltiness. He's talked about it in a couple interviews. Yeah. Well, I think it would be tough if you really sought after a director that you thought could and Ron Howard is a yeah. strong director I think he's yeah. a solid Hollywood director um, it just wasn't his cup of tea That's but this fine. movie is definitely a I think this movie is handled in a way because it this is a not a, it's not a strange film but it it definitely ha, it's like a, it's peculiar in a way yes. it's not it's not necessarily even though there are obstacles and things happen i wouldn't necessarily say it's like a totally a situational comedy no um because there is this sort of underlying theme and there is a strong each you know i think both bill murray and gina davis and jason robarts for that matter have like Mm -hmm. really strong characters um that build throughout the movie Mm -hmm. um it's not just based on like these setups for bill murray to kind of goof on yeah which is what i really love about it the most um is it, it it really moves yeah it's not it's not slapsticky you don't feel like oh here i'm being set up for the next joke um it's not a jokey type of movie at all it's very much like these characters you really start to feel for them because of what they're going through just trying to get out of get out of the city that frustration that you feel whenever you're just held back from something and you were almost home free but it's just like it is running uphill yeah and that and there's a there's a few scenes in this that i wonder if it's more of like bill murray's influence because there are a few Mm -hmm. things in this movie and uh, for example the jousting scene yeah which when you're watching the movie it kind of comes out of left field it does uh (laughs) and it in there's several moments especially with the wound with the flowers you know they're for anyone though that doesn't know like they're they're lost uh bill murray randy quaid and gina davis are lost and they just like come upon this guy that's like on a bike with his pole and they're like um excuse me can you just uh give us directions and then all of a sudden this this guy and another guy start riding their bikes at full speed like in a a jousting match yeah in a very like melodramatic yeah it's not it's not supposed to it's not funny but yeah it kind of goes into its own yeah universe like it goes into this like outer universe and then comes back in yeah, uh, and it does that a couple times in the movie where I feel like it's not afraid to break from the norm, mm-hmm. and I do wonder if that's something that like m- maybe turned off like Ron Howard, whereas like Bill Murray's, he's certainly not afraid to break from the norm in movies. No. <laughs> uh, you know, I was watching uh, Where the Buffalo Roam, yeah, uh, not too long ago, yeah, and just the first like 25 minutes of that movie i think just a i wonder if like a, oh, there's so much a run of the mill director i know but like <laughs> if like a run of the mill director just sort of read that and was just like yeah what can i do where do i even start you know, you know yeah. bill murray's just like don't worry about it it's i think that's one of the greatest things about him is that i mean you can 
pretty much give him anything and he's going to he's going to make it work no matter what yeah i think it's one of those it's almost like one of those things it's like a given like i always read like if you're reading about a movie that bill murray was in especially if he wasn't a main character it's like bill murray improvised his lines for this movie mm-hmm. it's like yeah what movie has he not improvised what a big most surprise. of his lines so and i think this is a movie too where he does have a lot of he kind of goes off on tangents mm-hmm. that i think are hilarious i don't know if that's uh, you know if that was all scripted or what but there's m- many moments where he he really goes not over the top but if anything understated in, yeah, in yeah. some instances um, and especially when he's like explaining things to somebody mm-hmm. um specifically and if i can find the clip of it i i'll use the clip of him and uh uh phil hartman uh, which is one of my <laughs> favorite scenes of the movie yeah. of him like talking oh and phil hartman yeah. is in this for a second that's yeah. a anytime anytime you, phil hartman's in something it's yeah. like I, I get sentimental and then there's like yeah. a little bit of heartbreak. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, th- so going back to like talking about this being a movie, sort of an underseen film. So we kind of, we were talking about this uh, the last few days uh, in prepping for this where we kind of looked it up because this was released in July of 1990. Mm-hmm. The height of summer. Height of summer. And even back in the 90s i mean even dating back to like 80s summer was already considered like that's when you put out your big blockbuster yeah you you know your your tentpole type movies and this was really in you got to remember this is a time when i mean now there's like five movies will be released in a weekend yeah i mean in the 1990 usually they just one movie came out Mm -hmm. in the weekend they didn't put anything up against it but this film was released against Ghost, which Jeez. became like this runaway hit of 1990, like the highest grossing film in 1990. I can't even remember how much money like it has made. It was something like it's for the 90s, insane. like $400 million or something insane, which insane. it doesn't seem like much now, but for the 90s or early 1990. Yeah. Um, so this movie kind of got buried. You know, it was kind of released. And, and I can see how watching this movie, you'd think it was like, it's it is very funny. It mm-hmm. is it is smart. Um so it makes sense, but this was one of those and I think this is like the perfect example of a movie that's it just got buried by another film that was released that was just sort of a gargantuan hit and then no one by the time this movie, you know, had a chance it was already it, there was another movie, huge movie yeah. coming out. And Wasn't so I think arachnophobia or something yeah, some, a week something or two after it. Yeah, something yeah. really big and I think that this was one that really didn't because this was one I didn't see I, I granted I was a kid but I saw this yeah. on video cassette and yeah so did I on you know television multiple mm-hmm. times and this where I where I think a lot of people where I think it kind of gained its cult following mm-hmm. again I think this is I mean I, I would consider this a cult film by the de- definition of it not being a really well-known film but there being like a very people who do know of it like really really love it a lot yeah it's not one of those that that someone says, "Oh yeah, it kind of it it deserves to be forgotten." I don't think that anyone any review that I've read or seen or anything um anyone that's seen it no one's ever said that. If anything, the people that have seen it kind of share our sentiment that it's an underrated classic. Well, again, I can't say this enough, uh, but we're going to talk more about quick change, but yeah. if this is one that you're unfamiliar with, uh this really is I adore this movie so much. Um, and I do, this is another movie that I consider like sort of our, um, along with monster squad, like Mm -hmm. the, the, the genesis of this, us doing this podcast is like this love for these few movies, quick change. It's like underrated movies that maybe you saw, maybe you didn't. Um, but that really deserve their time. Yeah. And I, and I, I throw underrated around a ton, but I, this is like, this one fits the if, bill if for I sure. had to like be pressed like if someone was like <laughs> really drilling like no what do you really think is underrated I'd feel like confidently say quick change <laughs> yes so, so let's go to another clip uh and then we'll uh talk a little bit more about this and then we'll get into our Murray centric pick of the weeks sounds good
it our plane? No, no. If it were our plane, it'd be crashing. Where's the airport? How far? Must be a lot of competition for that corner. Man, thank God she's not too symbolic or anything. What does it mean anyway, Grim? Flores, Parlos, Mordos. I sure couldn't tell you. You know, Grim, it means flowers for the dead. So uh, coming back to the themes of the film, I know we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, a little bit about like the sort of like hatred for the city. Because mm-hmm. um, you mentioned this movie is very New York centric. And I'm going to, I'm not from New York. I've only been in New York once in my life. So I'm pulling my experience sure. information from hearsay. Sure. But from my understanding, New York was this sort of great place to be in the seventies, though it was dangerous. It was, you know, you always hear about like Paris in the thirties, New York in the Mm seventies. Um, and then the eighties were like a time where they were like quote unquote cleaning up New York and it became more of a, you know, and it was like the eighties excess of like wall street and being more, uh, I guess like tourist friendly or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a decade of that spiked rent kind of changed the representation of like what New York was like in an, like any good thing, you know, like you, some restaurant is like great and then it becomes everybody's favorite restaurant. It lost and then, its like realness, its yeah. grittiness. And I feel like this movie has a little bit of that backlash of, mm coming off of the eighties of New York and just being like sort of sick of what it's become. And I feel like that's a running theme through the movie. It's subtle. And at times yeah. I, there's a, there's one moment where Bill Murray's character looks up at a, it's like a condominium mm-hmm. being built. And she's yeah. like, well, you don't do that anymore. And so there's a suggestion that his job was being part of the sort of like, changing of new york making it more like a redevelopment yeah like a more like processed um and in in a lot of ways it's kind of like i'll I'll use like the way falling down had that sort of like breaking point though falling down i think had a little more darker themes happening more individual you think (laughs) individual (laughs) themes um but this one i feel like it does have this sort of like i'm done with new york i'm done with what it's become and i think that you could put that same set of like aesthetics or like idealisms on other cities that have, you know, you see a change or like a neighborhood that you see um, gentrification is like a huge completely thing that is, you know, everybody talks about now, like with, you know, cities that are up and coming or neighborhoods that, that change. And this to me, like I think is a running theme of someone who's just like sick of it. And I think that there's several scenes in here, like the guy when he's talking to like the wall street guy with a watch, you, you know, this is a yeah. guy who he's, he knows exactly who this guy is. Like Bill Murray kind of like puts him in this place. So the, and he's this, like, this guy offers him a watch, right? He's just like giving him this watch to like let him out first to be one of the first hostages. And he's like, it's worth a thousand dollars. Yeah. This is a gift to you. Yeah. And, and Bill Murray puts him in his place. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that is a, I think that there's like, yeah, these little indicators. And then the scene, like I said, with Phil Hartman where yeah, he, you know, Phil Hartman's like, I got to have a gun now. Like we've been robbed three times. Like this is where it's become. And they mention like the rent difference, yeah. like what he used to pay. Um, and Bill Murray's line of like, really? Woodstock to Charles Bronson in 20 years, you know, like what happened? Um, in this sort of like compartmentalizing people and how they, mm-hmm. you know, they want to live in the city, but they want all the niceties and comforts of like the suburbs. And I don't know if that was like a driving point in the film, but I do feel like it's peppered throughout. 
and also like just the idea of like not being able to get out of the city and the gridlock and the grind and how that is something that it's a fight to to live in a city and to live in a, mo- a city that's really expensive and like San Francisco, New York, yeah. Chicago to be where everything's happening. It is a fight to be able to like struggle and survive and afford to live there and um, get through your day. Yeah. I think that's a great observation. I think a lot of, and I, what, what you're saying about, um, about this, I think that that is completely true about this movie. I think that it's this weird, like kind of, um, kind of love letter to New York. Like there's, there is this love for New York that's in there, but there's this also like, you understand that this, this city sucks. you know in certain ways or it's or it's started to just not be like what it once was for whatever reason or even something like you know um there's a scene where they ask for directions from some construction workers and the guys are just like "Ah, i don't know uh we're just putting up this sign or we're just taking down the sign somebody else is coming up here to put up another sign just like completely not helpful and you come to depend on people like not being helpful, not knowing where they are or New York in a way has made them completely cynical, but they have come to expect that really. But it's just um, Bill Murray has, or his character has reached kind of a breaking point. And it's, it's not necessarily, I don't, I don't think that this is, that this movie in any way is like a middle finger to New York at all. I think that it's, very much like appreciating what it is or what it once was. Um, but also being like, man, but I do think it, but I do <laughs> think that there's like a, I do think that there's like an underline of like a satir satirizing yeah. what New York had become at that yes. point. And again, this is just what I'm getting out of it. I've again, like I have no ties in New York. I don't, you know, so if you live in New York, you might, completely disagree i I, there was an interview that i saw with bill murray where he he feels like this movie is for new yorkers so i don't think in any way it's like alienating anyone i think it's just like an understanding of what you've been saying and and just kind of I, i i also don't think that it's you know not for anyone that's not lived in new york or not from there or anything right yeah but it's um it has a lot of New York in jokes. I think that someone from there would appreciate. Yeah. So I think there is this throughout the movie. There's this, yeah, it's like sort of a love letter slash hate letter for, for yeah. New York of what, what it had became at that point in time. Yeah. So, uh, let's go, we'll get to our pick of the weeks here, uh, pretty soon, but I know we wanted to talk about, uh, I mean, we've already talked about Bill Murray's role in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I really, we, we talked about, this is a great cast, yeah. uh, for this film. Um, generally comedies, uh, revolve around kind of one comedic character. Um, but you have someone like Jason Robarts, who is a very serious actor of yeah. like, the big screen been, and the been and, around for and quite a while uh and really brings a lot to this movie like a lot of uh i think prestige yeah and you need for for the you know cop that's kind of hunting these bank robbers you need you need an anchor and you need someone that is like that you know that straightforward cop but the the great thing about him um, in this particular role, he plays a great cop, but you can also see like the humor around that. And you see how he's a great enough actor that you see his brain processing this whole thing. Yeah. Um, so he works well in, in this comedy, um, without being, without weighting it down. Like he's just, uh, like he were to feel out of place or something like that. He, he sits very well as the anchor for this movie. I feel like. Yeah, Jason Robards to me has always been the uh, the perfect. Um, you know, we need this like gentle old man role <laughs> yeah. with like a little bit of uh, yeah uh, wisdom. Yeah, you know, you know, and it, it's he plays it so well. I mean, that's you know, so he always gets cast. But it is interesting to me these movies that he did. Like, I mean, he did this movie, which 
you know, is a very goofy film, even mm-hmm. though he has a straight character. I mean, he chose to do this. And then prior to this, he did dream a little dream, which I have a soft s- spot in my heart for that movie, even though I feel like it makes like almost zero sense. It, um, and Jason Robarts like does what he can to like yeah. make that movie. He takes on like, again, like that movie in this movie, you know, he, he brings that old man wisdom, Yes. Um, that feels so real and honest and it's like he does it so flawlessly um, just so effortlessly and I think you, you know you throw Jason Robarts in here you bring in Gina Davis and Randy Quaid who I think both turn in uh, excellent performances uh, Randy Quaid especially I think he just you're I'm, I know you love Randy Quaid and so do I yeah. Um, I'm more on the Gina Davis side, but Randy Quaid, yeah, like f- he holds strong yeah. onto his character in this in this movie. I think Gina Davis grounds the film, yeah, but I think Rain- Randy Quaid, uh, he provides like he, he, that- he gives he's the loose he's the looseness of the yeah. of the film, and Gina Davis is the rock. He's also the, the one the the character that gives us the keeps that anxiety kind of working with and again not not a anxiety driven movie but he's he's the character that's like we're all gonna die we're yeah, not getting the, out of here yeah. um yeah and gina davis is is very much the grounding character um to bill murray and i think yeah. when you have a movie that in like you're you know how you said like these sort of the anxiety movies where mm-hmm. um, not a survivalist film, but a, a situ a film where you're, you're trying to get out of some sort of jam and it's a, it's built around several characters. You know, you need that rock, you yeah. need the, uh, the person who's like the realist. And then you need the person who's like totally in despair, like the, yes, the, the panicky. Yeah. <laughs> at every step of the way, they're just like whining and like, yeah. And that, that's totally Randy Quaid yeah. in this. And I do, uh, but I do, but he, it's, he does it enough. It's like the fine line between being annoying and, and endearing. Yeah. He doesn't, he, he doesn't cross the line a, where you're like, you know what? Can we just like ax this guy as soon yeah. as possible? Cause I can't handle it. And I do think that they use his character in a way of like, cause Gina Davis mm-hmm. uh, is going to be a mother and they do have a moment where she's sort of like consoling him and she's like, he's like has his head rested on her, on her yeah. stomach. And she's like consoling him and like showing that she, she's aware of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not, she's not necessarily afraid. She's ready to actually walk away from this situation, but she's still the comforter and the rock of this and team. And she cares. Yeah. And she, she cares, even though she's right, re- you know, would like to punch him in his face. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, I do. I, I think Gina Davis is greatness in this. Uh, I was going to say, this is, you told me this was uh, before Thelma and Louise, right? That was. Yeah, I think this is. two. I can't remember exactly. I think 91 was 91. Thelma and Louise, yeah. And so this was, I mean, Gina Davis has been quite, obviously been quite a few things, but yeah. I think th- Thelma and Louise was, yeah, her breakout, but this is like yeah. really ramping up to that. But I think that she, I, I think this is, even though like you, you, Bill Murray is like the, marquee name Mm -hmm. i think the three of them working together make this like exquisite team and they all play off each other really really well and i think that's what keeps the anxiety and the Mm -hmm. tension and the drive going in this film is like them playing off of each other yeah they're all very solid actors and independently like their characters are couldn't be couldn't differ any further and what they all bring to it kind of makes like a cohesive unit that is uh that is there for drama and definitely creates comedy i have to say there are more than a few not necessarily one-liners but scene setups that are just too good um example well i i I, there's just like a moment where um I have a lot of favorite scenes from this one, but there's um, a scene where they, I mean, it was right after the bank robbery. Um, they roll up, they're lost, and they're like, well, this guy looks like a, this guy looks like a nice guy. Let's, a, let's ask him for directions. 
And Bill Murray's like, I don't know. He's, um, I still like the look of him. And Gina Davis and Randy Quaid are like, he looks nice. He's fine. Look, he's got Iowa plates. He's from out of town. He's got a map. He can help us. You know, it's totally fine. And Bill Murray's cynical, classic, like New Yorker being like, I don't, I don't like this. What it was, uh, I don't know. Wasn't that serial killer family from Iowa? You know, just like being like completely not having it. Gina Davis, Randy Quaid, totally cool. It's going to be fine. Fast forward a little bit. This guy is has a gun on him. He's looking to rob the next person, you know, that he comes across. It's a stolen car. And so while they're chilling in the car and Bill Murray's being escorted back to the car at gunpoint to presumably rob them. And at this point, we're like, as an audience, you know, we're like, oh, cool. There goes their million dollars they just robbed from the right. bank. Um, they're completely relaxed in the car and talking about like, I forget like what Gina Davis is talking. Oh, she's talking about Bill Murray and, you know, um, his, what she perceives is like him changing after this robbery, you know, kind of having a serious discussion. And then we see Bill Murray approach from the, from the back and she's like, Oh my God, this is an effing nightmare. Like I can't deliver that line, but it is one of my favorite scenes where it's just like immediately the mood changes and Bill, she's like, oh, my God, this is an effing nightmare. And Bill Murray just leans in and goes, he doesn't even know the capital of Iowa. <laughs> it's just like keeping the comedy going, right. but like in a completely tense situation. Yeah. Yeah. He like keeps his composure through, yeah. it, through it all. And you know what? I think Ron Howard's wrong because there are all three characters are someone to root for in this. I'm just going to go on record. One. Bill Murray's character. You're had, going record to say Ron Howard was wrong. Yes, I'm saying Ron Howard was wrong about this movie. In wrong and saying he's wrong in saying that because he said all these characters are unlikable. Yeah, yeah. Like there's nothing to to root for. One, Bill Murray's character as the mastermind bank robber totally could be set up as a um, self-centered jerk. But we see plenty of times how he illustrates how he actually does care about whether it's a a scene with Randy Quaid's, you know, duct tape money to his ass. And he's like, "Okay, I got to go take care of him in the bathroom right now. Please meet me on the plane, Gina Davis, you know, or like Gina Davis is um, she's pregnant and she's wanting to have she's in love with Bill Murray, wants to have a life with him, um, but is like so concerned about their future together and randy quaid even though he is you know the 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 clown the right. the joker of it all the, he has plenty of sentimental moments in this where he actually is you know caring towards uh gina davis or reassuring to bill murray when he feels insecure about something there's we even though these people have committed a, a major federal crime <laughs> Um, we do care about them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think we, to me, you're totally rooting for them to make it, yeah. to get off scot-free. I don't think that there's, yeah. uh, I don't think that yes. it would be satisfying to see them get caught or apprehended. No, not at all. And that's yeah. why the, it, it does feel, and how, I don't want to ruin anything, but I, I do really love the ending of this movie and this, the ending of it, you're like, every time I'm like, oh my God, how are they not going to get caught right now? But the ending maybe the person it, being pretty great. Maybe the, the most cynical person of this whole shebang was Ron Howard. You know what? I think you're right about that. Well. Too bad, Ron Howard. Too bad. You didn't get your right quick change. That was a failure at the box office, but became <laughs> a... <laughs> that's a... That's a... That's a... That's the only important thing. The bad thing about the the story is like uh, you know, the movie came out. Run hard's like dodge that yep, bullet. Yep, you know. Yep, sure did. Yep. Whatever. It's a really good movie. Though he did some like crummy movie like right around this time. Probably. Like far and away. <sighs> far and away. Yeah. Anyway, if you haven't seen Quick Change, I highly recommend it. It's it's it, it, of all the movies that we've said are underrated or kind of off the radar. This all one the movies is we've covered. This is, again, I'm saying, 
I adore this film. I think it's, I, I wish more people would see it. I wish, yeah. you know, when I brought it up, people are like, oh, I love that movie too. But yeah, I do think this is, this is one of those films that really, uh, as far as like a Bill Murray movie goes, mm-hmm. like maybe isn't one that people identify with one of his major roles and characters like a Caddyshack or a, a Groundhog's Day or Blossom Translation. Uh, but to me, I think this is where he really is the perfect balance of that mm-hmm. cynical, sarcastic, lovable character. Like it all comes into play. You know, those three movies you just mentioned, like they're, he had, especially Caddyshack, like they're all very much like the story, like he's just riding the story on that, even Groundhog Day. Like the story is, it is the movie. Yeah. Um, And I, I I love all of them, but this one was very much, it was, it wouldn't necessarily work if it weren't someone like Bill Murray for this role in quick change. And I'm not I saying, I'm not, I'm not saying he could be replaced in, you know, Caddyshack Groundhog Day or Lost in Translation, just saying that this one, it is incredibly important. You're casting in it this. It plays perfectly to his sensibilities. Yeah. 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 So uh, continuing on with our Murray, completely Murray-filled episode, mm-hmm. our picks of the weeks were both Murray-centric films. You did uh, Tootsie, mm-hmm. which uh, also had Gina Davis as well. It was her first film role, actually. Wow, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. And yeah. then I did uh, Kingpin, which had the Murray and Randy Quaid uh, combo. Mm-hmm. I like that we both went for movies where Bill Murray was a supporting cast member. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It took me a while to think about what one I was going to do. Um, but uh, yeah. Do you want to kick this one off? What can you tell me about Tootsie? Well, um, I would say one of the greatest things about this very celebrated cross-dressing classic um, as done by Sidney Pollack who also uh, co-stars in the movie. Um, one of, one thing that I find um, very cool about this one is the kind of soap opera style um, humor of the story and that it also kind of confronts and exposes a lot of sexism. Um, something that wasn't the most common when the film was released in 1982, like I said. So Tootsie follows Dustin Hoffman, um, a hardworking actor who can't seem to land an acting gig to save his life. So naturally, while escorting his female friend to an audition, he decides to try out for the uh, role himself, but in drag. And after he actually gets the part, his alter ego, Dorothy Michaels, is born, thus becoming a nationwide soap opera sensation. Um, Tootsie has been on countless best of lists since, since it came out. Um, it's also chocked full of a cavalcade of, of stars alongside Hoffman, like Jessica Lange, Terry Gard, Dabney Coleman, um, like I said, Sidney Pollock, uh, Charles Durning, our boy Billy Murray, um, and like I already said, Gina Davis. Who's, it's more than just like a, a little snippet too. She's in a, a handful of scenes too. And in today's world, um, our hyper-conscious yet understandably sensitive culture, um, Tootsie actually does kind of scoot on by as a non-offensive film um, that's constantly confronting sexism and also partly a little bit of sexual confusion um, set in the early 80s um, and like I said, somewhat unheard of really. Um, There were a handful of other movies made at the time uh, that had to do with drag or anything kind of like hitting close to that base but there weren't very many um another aspect i love um about this is that the uh, well-known trans actress holly woodlawn who was a, a good pal of andy warhol's and andy warhol actually appears for a snippet in tootsie she was actually brought uh on set to help dustin hoffman adjust to a man performing as a woman. I think that's pretty forward thinking and really cool for like 1982. Um, What makes Tootsie so special to me is that it's not simply about um, a straight white man dressing in drag because the woman that that he becomes takes on a life of her own. Through living as a woman, Dustin Hoffman's character sees life through a woman's eyes. And this is not something like Mel Gibson and what women want 
Okay, this is something a little bit deeper than that. One line that he says to Jessica Lang is, I was a better man with you as a woman than I ever was with a woman as a man. Try to follow that one a little bit, but it's it makes sense. Even Dustin Hoffman, the actor, um, once said that after his first day of shooting dressed as Dorothy, he went home, broke down in tears, and confessed to his partner that he uh, needed to and was confronting his own preconceived sexist ideas about women um, that he hadn't really realized until this point. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, not cool that he had a meltdown, but like pretty cool that going through this role like made him realize that. There's a lot of um, behind the scenes info in this film. Um, Like I said, Gina Davis's uh, film debut, that's pretty great. But also, of course, bringing it back to Billy Murray. He has a hefty uncredited supporting role in this movie as Dustin Hoffman's best friend. And a little quick change addition here. It wouldn't be until quick change that Gina Davis and Bill Murray would, would reunite. So good, you know, eight years later. It was Dustin Hoffman that lobbied for Bill Murray to play his best friend in the film. Um, something that Sidney Pollack wasn't initially on board with. And Bill Murray was like super hot, hot, hot at the time. Um, and in order to avoid this movie being stamped as a, you know, quote, Bill Murray movie, um, he is uncredited at the beginning of the movie. Um, another reason this role is so awesome for Billy is because most of his lines are ad-libbed. As we said earlier in the podcast, go figure, Billy Murray ad-libbing his lines. Um, but he, you know, while he plays this part very straight laced, there's a little hint of sarcasm, but he just plays a great best friend to, uh, Dustin Hoffman and something that we just don't really see a lot in his career. This movie has, um, a lot of over the top aspects, um, but I'd really advise you to seek it out if you haven't, um, especially because, the, I mean, there there is a whole genre of movies about cross-dressing for whatever the reason may be or someone, you know, uh, whether they body hop into another gender or something like that. I think Tootsie is a good endeavor into that. Um, and if not for that, um, if you're a fan for, you know, of Bill Murray, Dustin Hoffman or Gina Davis um, and at the time, the rest of the cast was nothing really to sneeze at either. Um, this is one that is um, one movie that's done with such care and intelligence and I think crafty humor um, that I haven't really seen anything else like it a lot. It's it's a movie that is, if you're an actor, um, you would really like this movie too. Um, focuses a, a lot on that aspect. Um there's just uh, there's a fair amount of good reasons that this movie still makes plenty of best of lists even today. It's a movie. It's it's one that uh, I think it was like harder for me to get into because there is. I think the music was hard for me to get past. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, it was the music you, is you gotta is pretty rough. You gotta get past that music. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost parody. <laughs> I know. I know. It's weird. I the know, 80s I, were a strange time, though. It's like I I watched this one a few times through, and one of the times a friend of mine was with me, and she was actually like engaged. Yeah. In it, and then the music happened, and she didn't say anything, and I was like, "Just get past the music, okay?" And Lindsay, <laughs> you know how huge a fa- a fan I am of like movies. You that love use it. a song with the title of the movie in it. You love it. I mean, I'm totally into it. I could not get on board with the Tootsie song. Not the Tootsie song. But no. I think it was a good pick, and I'm glad I watched it. I'm really glad that and you I did, like, too. I'm man, surprised I'll, that you did. I'm glad that you did. Why Thank are you surprised you. I did? I mean, jeez. I mean, jeez, what do you think? I want you to hmm. tell me about Kingpin. I love Kingpin. Um, <laughs> I just think about Bill Murray's you come over in this. You I watched uh, Kingpin. <laughs> I'm not surprised, but it, I'm just but at the, you know. at the same time, I'm like, good. I'm glad he chose that one. That comb over is so much. Kingpin. So Kingpin was my pick of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to find again, like with yourself, trying to find a Murray film where he wasn't a central character. It's not a movie that we've all seen. 
And two reasons why Kingpin came to mind was one, we've got the Murray Randy Quaid connection, the comp where they're both in the same movie together. And secondly, Kingpin was a movie that uh, was not a hit. It's kind of like kind of a miss and later on kind of gained a following <clears throat> directed by the Farley brothers who like sort of came out of the gate with uh, Dumb and Dumber, which was just a huge hit. They did Kingpin and then had their biggest hit, which was There's Something About Mary. So in between these two massive hits was Kingpin, which was a little bit forgotten. And I think one of the reasons why this was not written by them, and I think their thing is like they go for this sort of mean-spirited, weird, gross-out humor. And this was one of the few movies that they directed that they didn't write. And though I think that they put their little spin on things. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the gross out humor stuff, um, but, and there is some of that in Kingpin, but I think not as much as their other movies. So maybe um, people weren't as into it or who knows um, why movies don't hit. Um, but this is a movie, like I said before, it could have used a little more Bill Murray. Um, the basic story is uh, this guy, Roy Munson portrayed by Woody Harrelson, who's, kind of primed to be this the greatest uh, bowler i really can't tell if this is a movie that's satirizing sporting movie tropes or if it just is falling on them to, to is, is it, i mean because it really does like point for point hits every sports cliche you can think of and in the beginning you get the idea that there it's sort of like poking fun but then toward the end i just i did sort of they've sort of blend lines but he's sort of primed to be this great bowler um gets into a tanglement with bill murray's character who's like this sort of like eccentric uh flamboyant like crazy bowler who gets woody harrelson into trouble and he ends up getting his hand cut off destroyed kind of grossly destroyed and he now he has this like rubber hand and uh sort of the thing where now we cut to 20 years later he's kind of washed up and kind of an alcoholic and living in poverty and he happens to be at a bowling alley and hears uh randy quaid's character uh throw this strike and he's like kind of turns his head very color money style like whoa what was that you know and takes him under his wing but randy quaid's character uh lives in this amish community and he's sort of been hiding the fact that he's bowls on the side but of course you've got your your basic setup of all the <laughs> these kind of comedy movies where it's just like uh they're if they don't they're gonna lose their farm if they don't have a half a million dollars and coincidentally there's this uh contest that it you know it's a half a million dollars so he goes on this quest and randy quaid go uh goes on this quest to raise the money uh being coached by woody harrelson's character and this, I think the first 25 minutes of this movie are like comedy gold and the last 20 minutes are great. Most of this is involving the Bill Murray character, um, which again, another movie where I looked into it and it's like, of course, he like improvised all his lines. Like you said, the comb over is his idea. I think that overall, it's a movie that, again, it's not the greatest, but I think it was one that like deserves a little attention, kind of was missed. Uh, there's some funny moments. I think Bill Murray plays, uh, there's a bit where Bill Murray's, it's sort of like a commercial of him doing this like charity thing that is probably the best bit of the whole film. And uh, yeah, he's just so outrageous in this, uh, just him kind of doing what he does best. And um, kind of Woody Harrelson playing a, the, he, he really plays that like drunk sort of, mean-spirited character like to a T and uh, Randy Quaid again turning in I think this is really like I would say like of all the movies Randy Quaid has done this is like probably like his biggest budgeted film that where he's like really the movies on his shoulders to like kind of deliver um, a lot of the laughs and he kind of plays it this sort of naive straight goofball again I feel like this kind of falls in line with quick change it was a movie that got kind of like passed over um, but it's worth uh, taking a look and seeing what you think. That was a great pick. I, I need to revisit that one. I haven't seen it. I admittedly, I saw that in the theater and then probably like maybe once or twice afterwards. But I it's been a long time since I've seen it. I did go through some highlight reels though of it. Yeah, I think it, I, if I 
it's hard for me to if I if I remember correctly, I think it's a movie that I didn't appreciate when it came out. Mm-hmm. I think like uh, I was a huge fan of Jim when you know the time Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura came out. Um, and so there's something about Mary. Like yeah. I was more into those movies, but now when I go back and watch Farley Brothers stuff, like Kingpin to me is like more of their their shining star than their other films that they're known for. Yeah. So never could there be a more appropriate time to say, here's your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're going to come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun. the 2014 Academy Awards, uh, Bill Murray gave a short but very fitting tribute to his comrade since the late 70s, Harold Ramis. Ramis had passed away earlier in the year, um, and if you remember this moment like I do, you saw Billy's faint, trademark smirky smile begin to fade into a straight, uh, straight-faced moment where tears began to well up in his eyes a little bit. Billy was presenting the, the award for Best Cinematography. For me, I started to weep as soon as he came out on stage, knowing about this 21-year-long rift that had been between the two, and that there was no way that Billy couldn't have been thinking about Ramus the moment he stepped out on stage. So these two became friends during their work with the Second City and National Lampoon's troops. After uh, Ramus's success with Animal House and Meatballs, the latter starring uh, Billy, Ramus moved on to the incredibly successful Caddyshack, also starring Chevy Chase and Billy. Then came Stripes, um, the first endeavor of the pair starring opposite each other. Uh, It was in this film where I feel like they came into their own, really, especially together. During their work together, uh, Ramus said that if any scene wasn't working, they would step away for a little while, work it through the scene together in private, uh, come back to the set, and comedic gold would just instantly be made. The Ghostbusters franchise was next, both starring Billy and Ramis. Um, the success of these films goes without any explanation, really. We all know how big that franchise is. Um, and then in 1991, uh, work had begun on the sixth and what would be the final collaboration between the pair, Groundhog Day. During the course of filming, Billy's life wasn't in the best of shape. His marriage was spiraling down the tubes, resulting in him showing up late to the set, you know, kind of throwing tantrums a little bit and getting in disagreements with Ramus um, about decisions uh, about Groundhog Day fairly frequently. Instead of their usual collaboration during disagreements that would happen on previous films, Billy instead would stonewall Ramus. Um, perhaps the most well-documented reason was over the tone of the film. Ramus wanted a straightforward comedy. Billy thought it should be a deeper, um, deeper comedy, but still with a more philosophical feel to it. Um, I know that there's a lot more going on here, but both Billy, um, and Ramus, um, kept the specific details of this close to their chest. After Groundhog Day wrapped, Billy refused to speak to Ramus. The creative differences, personal issues with each other, and unprofessionalism by Billy on the set seemed to drive a huge wedge into their partnership and friendship. Um, Billy never really spoke about this. Ramus, however, would speak candidly about it throughout the years. Um, He said that he had dreams where they were friends again, and it seemed to really plague him. I mean, how could it not? Some say that Billy was tired of hearing that Ramus was responsible for him having a successful career. Um, which I, I don't buy, and neither did Harold Ramis. Um, he said he felt that Billy made a bad script, or he could have the ability to make a bad script into comedic gold just by improvising, just by his style of comedy, that he could really save anything. 
He said that um, he did think that he brought out some of the best comedic moments in Billy's career, um, but there's never been any air of superiority. Um, like he felt like he was solely responsible for it. Now, after Ramus developed a disease that involved the swelling of his blood vessels um, called auto- autoimmune inflammatory vasculitis, Brian Doyle Murray um, told his brother it was high time for him to talk to his long lost friend. Billy knew Brian was right, decided it was a waste of time to continue not talking, and went to visit Ramus. The two of them finally reminisced and spoke for quite some time. Now, what they talked about, no one publicly knows. But with that amount of history, I can't imagine the conversation was about the Chicago weather. Ramus finally passed away um, not too long after that final time that they met. And when presenting that award for Best Cinematography at the Oscars, Billy said, and I quote, Oh, wait, we forgot one. Harold Ramis for Ghostbusters, Caddyshack, and Groundhog Day. It was in that moment when you just knew, no matter what those two had gone through together, that he loved and appreciated Ramis like no one else. I know that I'll never forget that moment, and I'm not going to lie, it totally still brings tears to my eyes today. I can look up that YouTube clip, and it will totally bring tears to my eyes. Do you remember that, Justin? Oh, yeah. As someone who's a... been having Oscar parties for yeah I don't know how long since forever yeah and yeah that particular moment was one where I was kind of sort of like looking away like <laughs> wiping my eyes he came out with Amy Adams and she's like you yeah. know all Amy Adams and he's like having a moment looking directly into the camera like and don't forget Harold Ramis hey buddy yeah I love you till next Murray moment this has been this has been nice. I'm glad we were able to do this sort of like happy birthday, Bill. Yeah, I'm so glad that we did Quick Change. It's such an underrated, great film of his. And and it's always been something that's made me smile that you and I like love this movie yeah. when, when I feel like no one knows this movie. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the Wes Anderson, Bill Murray. Yeah, of course. Collaboration yeah. like to no end, but I'm glad that, we we have like this common ground on quick change. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Wes Anderson is what like what people know, which is great. Um, and I'm so glad that that happened. I just re- revisited Rushmore again recently, and I was like, "Duh, this movie's great, like all yeah. of them." Um, but yeah, like something like Quick Change, I feel like is always going to be shadowed. Um, you know, by by newer movies, which is great for his career. That's awesome. Yeah. Happy for him. But Quick Change still deserves its time, still holds up, and um, is a funny movie and quirky and weird and worth revisiting. Yeah. And Gina Davis and Randy Quaid. Come yeah. on. You can't. You can't argue it. No. You I really mean, you can't. could, but not here. Not right now. No, not right now. Not with us. No. Well, that's uh, that about wraps it up for wrapping it up. Our Murray special. Um, so it's no secret here at the podcast that both of us are horror movie fans, and I'm pretty certain we've mentioned, maybe we haven't, that Halloween is our favorite holiday of all time. Oh yeah. And uh, even though this isn't a horror movie podcast, we felt it necessary. We want to do something special for our first October doing the podcast. Yeah. So we, though this is bi-weekly, we're going to give you four episodes for the month of October. Ooh. All horror movies, but we're keeping them into what uh, I constantly love, your category, <laughs> genre of horror light. Horror light. Most of these are horror light. But, um, yeah. So we're going to kick yeah. it off. We're going to kick o- October off with Pet Cemetery. Uh, so stoked about that. We're going to follow it up with Serial Mom because we've been wanting to do a John Waters <laughs> movie here for a while. I just start laughing and, immediately with Serial uh, Mom. We're going to follow that up with the original West Craven Nightmare on Elm Street. A classic. Come on. And then on. we're going to close out October um, on Halloween Eve with one of our all time favorite movies. Just going to say, yeah, Fright Night, 1985's Fright Night. 
Um, so what is what better it, than Fright Night? This is just like going to be an amazing month. So if you're a fan, and if, even if you're not a fan of full-on horror movies, we hope you stay, stick with us. Yeah, these uh, are going to be our regular straight podcasts. We're still doing um, our, 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 you know, regular talking about the movie, picks of the week, yeah. Murray moment everything but you're but getting it want, yeah. every week yeah and um and uh and it, you know and if if if, if horror movies aren't your bag i understand we're gonna get you know we'll get back to to the serious you know to the non-horror stuff in november but don't worry gonna, we got some yeah, serious yeah. stuff coming but, up uh, for you but um for for <laughs> for october we want to have a little fun and you know a lot of this is for our own personal uh a and, love of the holiday but. and and we picked these specifically for the reason that like a horror movie can, fan can like these movies and also someone that's that's not immediately yeah. turned off by horror yeah, films I think can I, watch I, these yeah i hope these can be appreciated by and i tested this out on my partner yeah. with um i i i showed her serial mom and nightmare on elm street and this is someone that has had nightmares and has had problems after watching horror movies and both of these films she was like one she loves serial mom she thought it was hilarious and nightmare on elm street she wasn't terrified by and this is also someone that is watching this for the first time now right so it's a whole different game and I think uh, um, some of these movies, looking back on them, they're maybe like not as terrifying as they were when we first saw them. But I feel like you can still elicit the um, um, scariness from them. Do you think she would go for Pet Cemetery? I think she could totally deal with Pet Cemetery for sure. But um, you know, and we we'll, we go into this in Pet Cemetery. I I feel like that one. It's so sad to me that it's like I kind of don't yeah. even want to show it to, yeah. to her because I find it to be so devastating. It's a bleak horror movie. <laughs> it is a bleak horror movie. But all of these, that's what I mean is like we picked these movies specifically because they're either um, fun, off, be- like offbeat from your your typical horror movie. Yeah. Um, it's just something a little bit off the beaten path yeah i think from the horror i think from the, the horror I think vein we're, we're, the october we're gonna offer something a little bit of something for everybody yeah. i hope yeah that's the intention anyway that's yeah. the goal so um look for us in october uh we'll, we'll, we'll put up on our instagram don't push boss podcast and our facebook yep. don't push boss podcast um we'll put up our full october schedule so that you can uh follow along with us um you can always reach us at don't push or if you want to email us, you can always contact us directly at don'tpushpausepodcast at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much for sticking with our uh, fun-filled Murray episode. Happy birthday, Bill. Yeah, happy 68. birthday, Bill. That's, that's amazing. Um, so until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reaper. Thank you.